0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Joining me is co-host and fellow H-Town sports junkie, Stephen Kerr. 60 years in sports journalism between the two of us. And after a just fantastic game one against the Lakers, the Rockets get beat by eight in game two. And Stephen, there's no way, no way at all the Rockets can win this series when Russell Westbrook is a total disaster on both ends. Once he got five fouls, I
1: was hoping he would just foul out. Yeah, It was the most, I think it was the most abysmal game I've seen him play, Robert, in a Rockets uniform. And certainly in the first half, it, it, it was almost like he was trying to do too much and playing way out of control. And whenever he does that, look out. And I don't mean that in a good way. You know, just in the, the first half alone, he was one of seven shooting. And I think he had something like five of the Rockets turnovers in the first half. And he kind of started trying to get it going within the second half, but not really. Uh, He just, he ended up, I think one of seven from three, four, 15 overall. And just, but, but not even from the offensive side, like you said, he got in foul trouble, had five fouls and just the, the turnovers again, how many times have we talked about those turnovers where he's trying to bring the ball up and just totally loses control. He was minus 17,
0: or the Rockets were minus 17 with him on the floor in the first half. One for eight, two points, four turnovers, two assists. Uh, Mark Jackson on Westbrook said the one thing he's got going for him, he won't lose confidence. Well, frankly, Stephen, I'd like to see him lose confidence and quit being confident he'll make a jump shot or make a pass through two defenders because I'm tired of it. I, I, I'm just tired of him playing out of control He's got an incredible body, but he's got a two-cent head. This is the Russell Westbrook that I thought we were going to get when we traded for him, a guy that doesn't get it done in the playoffs, and he doesn't get it done because he doesn't think out there on the basketball court, and he's a real liability when you're the Rockets and you need a three-point shooter with James Harden on the floor, and, and, and he's just not, he's a terrible shooter, and he keeps shooting the basketball.
1: I don't know if it's a overconfidence or stubbornness. I, I tend to look at it as stubbornness, and I think we've, we've talked about this, you know, not long after the trade was made, Robert, this is one of the first things that we talked about, is what kind of Russell Westbrook the Rockets were going to be getting. This, this out-of-control ball player that just tends to get it in his head that he just needs to take unwise shots. And my goodness, he certainly took his share of that in game, too.
0: Do you think they can win with Russell Westbrook? I mean, the way he's playing in the playoffs, he, it's not like it was just this game, Stephen. He's been bad. The whole, I mean, since he's been back from the injury, he's been bad. You can blame it on the injury. He looks fine physically. It's not about the physical stuff. It's between the ears with him.
1: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I, I don't think there's anything physical going on. You know, he had the COVID-19, and then he had the quad injury and all that. I, I mean, physically, he looks fine. He's going up and down the court fine. I just don't think he's a good decision maker, Robert. And and that's that's unfortunately the key. And and with those kind of decisions that Westbrook is making, I mean, think about it. You know, the the Rockets lost by what, eight points. If if Russell had even played a decent game, they very well might have been up two oh in the series. So yeah, unfortunately I'd have to say he was the difference in game two in a negative way. When you were a kid, I don't know if you had this kid on the playground,
0: but they would call him a spaz, and that—that's what Russell Westbrook. <laughs> that's what he
1: is. He's just a spaz. Yeah, I, I can't remember if that was the name we used. That—that that was close though. But it, yeah, it, it's like, you know, spastic, kind of out of control type of type of player. Uh, but this isn't playground basketball. This is the NBA playoffs, and he's got to play much, much fundamentally better than that if the Rockets are going to win this series. And honestly, Robert, the the Rockets were fortunate that they only lost by eight and that they didn't get totally blown out in the second half of this game. I mean, that third quarter run certainly saved them, but it's just, it's things like that that are going to cause a lot of problems. And I know the Lakers, you know, they did this with Portland. They were down, they they got beaten game one, came back to win the next four. I don't know if they're going to do that with the Rockets, but th- the Rockets certainly are going to have, We you knew they were going to have their hands full even after game one. But it's just so frustrating when you have to lose just because of such poor play by one of your star players. You know, you look at the Lakers line. They're two star players. Anthony Davis with 34, LeBron James with 28. You know, that that tells the story right there. Their superstar guys, beat the Rockets superstar guys. And Anthony Davis showed up. And, you know, that's
0: what you got Anthony Davis. If you're the Lakers, that's what you got him for. But you look at the rest of the Rockets and – P.J. Tucker, what can you say? He was trying to single-handedly will this team to a victory. Just so incredible the first couple of games, just doing everything. He's been fantastic in the playoffs, you know, doing what he does. And you look at him, and he's got 18 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, he's got a block shot, a steal. He's on the floor. He's hustling. He's yelling every at ever everything. And, uh, you know, four for seven from three. You know, Robert Covington, you know, he's been really good since the first few games of the Oklahoma City Series. Uh, he's, he was four for eight from three. Eric Gordon is back to being Eric Gordon the last few games a little bit. At least, you know, he's shooting the ball a little bit better for sure. He's six of 12 from three. He was fantastic. Um, you didn't get much from the other guys, the bench guys, except for, again, Daniel House. 13 points. He was the one guy that was keeping him in the game in the first half. Steven, he was the one guy that was making shots and, and doing good things out on the floor. Three for seven from three. He had 13 points. He's minus 17, but I, I, I feel like a lot of that minus 17 with him on the floor was because he was on the floor a lot with Russ.
1: <laughs> well, yeah, that's it. That That's the key. And it was so good to see Daniel house come back. I mean, he showed absolutely no effects from getting accidentally hit in the head by the aforementioned P.J. Tucker uh, in game one. I mean, he came out, no pun intended, well, I guess it is intended, like a house of fire in that first half. Uh, he, he literally did save the Rockets in that first half. Robert, do you know that at one point in the second quarter, the Rockets actually had more turnovers than they did field goals? And guess, of course, who was making most of those turnovers? <laughs> it was Russell Westbrook. So I guess that's what makes it especially frustrating for me in the loss is that these other guys were coming through PJ Tucker, Daniel house, Robert Covington, Eric Gordon, but the superstar guys, particularly Russell Westbrook. I mean, James Harden had a decent game, but, but it just, that's what makes it all the more frustrating is your, your, your key guys, your two key guys were the ones who didn't get it. Well, let's just say Westbrook, one of your two key guys didn't get it done and the others did step up.
0: One other thing I've got to talk about, you know, there's uh, 12 turnovers. Like you said, the turnovers uh, between Westbrook and Harden, seven with Westbrook, five for Harden. And for Harden, not tremendously bad for 39 minutes, but I I just, I got to talk about the fact that, you know, same old D'Antoni in the fourth quarter, same old James Harden in the fourth quarter. There was just a lot of three-point shots when they're trying to come back and it frustrates me. To no end that the Rockets just rely on standing around. James Harden is supposed to do something. He takes, you know, step back threes or contested threes. Other guys are taking threes. They're not going to the basket. Nobody's moving without the basketball. We saw a lot of that in the, in the first quarter, but in the fourth quarter, it just sticks out um, like crazy. And, and 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 this doesn't work. In the playoffs, we've seen it again. We've seen this show before against Golden State. When you play a good team that can lock down on defense, you can't just rely on the three-point shot in the fourth quarter when your legs are tired in a playoff game from having to play defense like you never have to play in the regular season.
1: Well, that's a good point and I mean the Rockets, you know, to back that up, they only made 6 shots in the fourth quarter. I mean, that is certainly not going to cut it. And, and it's almost as if when they're really playing well, you know, when they're driving hard to the basket and when they're making those threes, it's almost as if when they get into the fourth quarter that they figure, okay, well, that worked, but we need to go back to the bread and butter that brought us to the dance in the first place. And that's just where they get into trouble. Now, I know the Lakers, you know, they're going to make adjustments, but the Rockets need to keep making adjustments of their own and, and stick with what's working for them. And they clearly didn't do that in the fourth quarter. And it showed by having so few made shots.
0: That's all I had really for this game. I mean, is there anything else that you can think of? Because my big takeaway was Westbrook, you know, Westbrook, Westbrook, Westbrook. And, and just the fourth quarter, the, the same old, same old. And this is all the stuff that, you know, I just, I feel like I'm beating a dead horse with, the, with these things. But, you know, this is the difference between me believing that the Rockets can beat great teams in the NBA and get to a championship, and 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 not not being able to beat the great teams.
1: Well, and that's what I've said too. Is I, I still don't look at the Rockets as a championship team because they just have too many inconsistencies where they they don't they they just I don't know if it's they don't have the discipline to keep a game that's working for them, or they're just stubborn and they want to keep going back to the same philosophy that gets them in trouble. But I think that's one of the reasons they have trouble closing out games because they go away from what their strong points are and just insist on ramming three-point shots or just bad shots, you know, taking just bad shot selection. That's really what struck me in the fourth quarter as well. And, you know, the series is tied 1-1. I I really, I I certainly didn't expect, even after game one, when the Rockets were totally in control, the Lakers certainly weren't going to roll over and die. I mean, it doesn't really surprise me that they tied it up 1-1. But, as I said, it just frustrates me when the Rockets lose in the fashion that they do. So many mistakes by key players. We're not we're not talking about role players, fringe guys, key players making those kind of mistakes. And these are veteran guys. And they just can't keep doing that in the playoffs. And that to me is anything that's going to keep the Rockets from being a championship team and winning this series or going deeper in the playoffs. Steven, you pointed out to me
0: after game seven of the Thunder series that the Rockets and the Lakers will play game four of this series on the same night as the Texans play the Chiefs in the season opener. Houston sports fans are going to be wearing out their remote control Thursday night.
1: Boy, I tell you, I know, and it it crossed my mind. I think it was, I want to say it was before game seven. It suddenly popped into my head, you know, got, got ahead of myself there. But yeah, if the Rockets win this series and they go into the Lakers series, then they're going to be overlapping with the Texans. I, you talk about a podcast, Robert, of uh, a show combination. I guess, are, are we doing a Rockets playoff postgame and Texans opening night postgame show all in one? Is that, a, uh, is that the biggest blockbuster podcast in Houston sports talk history or what? <laughs> yeah, we got a
0: lot on our plate for Thursday night, it, it, it appears. And, uh, it's, man, it's going to be tough to keep up with both games. Um, at the same time, but we're going to do our best for that. And and the major news on Saturday, because we're talking Texans, the big news was that they signed Deshaun Watson to a four-year extension, $160 million. Two big takeaways for me. Number one, unlike Bill O'Brien's other contract extensions, this one seems like a bargain. The money isn't bad at all, believe it or not. $160 million sounds like a lot for four years, but considering <laughs> what I thought, uh, Bill O'Brien might fork out It's good. Number two, it's a four-year extension that doesn't kick in for two more years, Stephen. So the Texans need to take advantage of this two-year window. And this means you've got Deshaun for six more years, meaning he'll be 30 years old at that point. I think that's the key because he's a running quarterback who takes a lot of punishment. We have no idea how he's going to age with his skills. So overall, I I really like this in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, that is the key, Robert. And I'll be honest, you know, when I first saw the deal, I was my re- first reaction was one of surprise. I honestly thought that the money would be much higher. I mean, I, I didn't expect that he would get the exact same deal that Patrick Mahomes got. What he got, you know, half a billion dollars, ten years, whatever. I I wasn't expecting that, but when I saw the one hundred sixty million dollars, or I think it's like almost. I thought I saw. a figure where it was one fifty six, but close to one sixty anyway. Yeah, that just. I guess if you compare it to the Patrick Mahomes deal, it just seems really low. So you talk about a bargain, but it obviously is a testament to the fact that Deshaun Watson is committed to staying here. But you know, the money is certainly good. It's it's a great deal for both sides, no question about it. And the fact that, as you said, with the extension kicking in after this current contract. The the Texans are gonna have Deshaun Watson through the prime of his career, and you certainly hope that with the offensive line can just continue to get more consistent, that he won't take as much of a beating, and that he can stay durable and relatively healthy throughout the next few years. It it is a win win for both sides. We're gonna mix
0: the Rockets and the Texans up some more because a former Rocket Vernon Maxwell tweeted this, which I thought was pretty funny. He says, is it safe to assume O'Brien is on vacation or had nothing to do with giving Deshaun Watson that contract extension? Because that's <laughs> the best
1: decision the Texans have made in a long time, if you ask me. Uh, leave it to Mad Max to state his opinion. Does he have a podcast or anything? I mean, he, uh, yeah, he's never been shy about saying anything, and now he's crossing over sports. That's, <laughs> that's, that's pretty hilarious.
0: Yeah, he's, he's given it to – Thunder fans, and then he's giving it to Laker fans. He's he's a great follow. We've talked about him before on Twitter, but if you don't follow Mad Max, it's it's worth the follow. And then uh, more news, because the Texans released offensive lineman Greg Mance, defensive lineman Angelo Blackson, and tight end Jordan Thomas, their six-round pick from a couple of years ago. Jordan Thomas's exit means they're still high on Kahele Waring, their third-round pick, who was on the injured list all last year. Steven, I, I, I've... Find it interesting that Jordan Thomas, who was catching touchdowns and doing a lot of good things, he's gone. And Angelo Blackson, who they gave a lot of money to, uh, all of a sudden he's gone. And, and they're going to take a $750,000 cap hit from for Blackson this year, which, again, it's why, why were you given guaranteed money beyond a year? I mean, Angelo Blackson is just a guy. So I, I just I didn't understand why they were given so much money to Blackson uh, when they – you know, handed out a contract. I, I guess it was last year or the year before. But uh, so th- those are the big cuts, anyways.
1: Yeah, that, I mean, the Jordan Thomas certainly surprised me, but the, just the way the whole Angelo Blackston situation did, and and you know, they cut John Weeks. Although I I think they are going to bring him back at a lesser. I think I think they've already got him back. Yeah, they did. That, when I saw that this morning, it's like, well, they're going to bring him back. I mean, that I think that was pretty obvious. Of course, you're talking about the the longest tenured player in Texans history, but yeah, the, the Jordan Thomas, I, you know, Kylie Waring is coming off the injured list, very unproven. So yeah, that, that definitely raised my eyebrows. I think more than any of the other cuts, they also
0: released Jonathan Owens, but then they signed it back to the practice squad. He's a safety. He was a free agent signing who was originally an undrafted signing by the Cardinals a couple of years ago. And Steven, I'm just kind of wondering, do you have any idea what owens is most known for these days in houston
1: i uh, yeah that's
0: that's a good question well the answer is as of a few weeks ago he was officially the olympic
1: champion gymnast simone biles boyfriend <laughs> oh wow i must have boy, I, I must have been in a cave when i missed that one that's interesting
0: yeah so there there you go but you know looking forward to what they're going to do against the chiefs uh this thursday is there anything in that game that you're uh, sort of trying to figure out what's going to happen. Cause it's, we don't know what to expect because we haven't seen them in the preseason. We haven't seen this team put together. We don't know if they're ready. We don't know if the chiefs are going to be ready. We don't know who, who is, uh, you know, who's going to be able to handle this whole, you know, weird off season. And with all the possibilities of, of, of injuries and soft tissue injuries, like, you know, Denver, Denver's had a lot of those, uh, so far in the, in the, um, in the preseason, so, or whatever you want to call this, in, in their training camp. So I, I, I have no idea.
1: Well, and I guess that's really part of the intrigue, Robert, and, and maybe that is to the Texans' advantage, that, you know, the, the Chiefs are in the same situation they are. Maybe they'll come out a bit rusty, and the Texans might actually have, you know, something to prove. And, and you hope that that's how they play, that they want to avenge what happened in the playoffs, and that they're going to come out firing on all cylinders. But, yeah, it's it's definitely an unknown because, you know, the, the NFL teams are basically going to start out the same way college football teams do every year. You know, they don't get a postseason. They just have their own little summer camp that starts in August and, you know, and they're ready to go. So, yeah, that's the most intriguing thing for me is what is it going to be like with no preseason for anybody? And you know what? It, it'll be interesting if most of the teams come out and actually play pretty decent football. You're probably going to hear the cry Why don't they just get rid of preseason altogether? I mean, we've talked about that before. Do they even need preseason? Well, that remains to be seen. But I'm just hoping that the Texans can just come out and not be flat, that that they can actually stay in the game. If they can just stay in the game, then they certainly have a chance to win, knock, knock off the defending Super Bowl champions in the first game of the season.
0: I want to hit on a couple of quick Astro notes because ugh, it was a horrible weekend in Anaheim. Altuve and McCullers go on the injured list. The bullpen's a disaster, blowing leads left and right. Yes, they got Brad Peacock and Jose Arquidi back, but that didn't really help. McCullers breaks down on Friday, which probably cost them three games because the bullpen was just wasted uh, after you know, just leaving no good arms for Saturday's double hitter. It, it really, that fr- Friday game, Stephen cost him three games, I think.
1: Yeah, it really did. It was disappointing to see Lance just, uh, you know, once again falter. He had that great start before that. Uh, but, you know, it just kind of goes back to what you said, Robert. He, he just has not been there as a starter. And You know, I still, j- just with all the weird timing that's been going on, I think with the bullpen, they're just worn out. And of course, you know, there were a number of days, though, that the Astros weren't playing and a lot of those pitchers weren't getting work. So it, it's it's just been a weird timing issue where, you know, they're getting too much work and then all of a sudden they're shutting down for a few days, not getting any work. That can't be good for any pitching staff. And I'm not making excuses, don't get me wrong. The Astros just, they look miserable. I mean, the offense certainly scored enough to win. Uh, I I can't remember what game it was. It was either the first or second game of the doubleheader, but there, there was one game where the Astros just were abysmal with runners in scoring position and hitting but for the most part the offense kept them in the games but the bullpen just couldn't hold it
0: yeah and this bullpen it, it, it's bad and and it's not going to get any better for the astros because they have five games in four days coming up because they got that double header they're going to have to make up against the ace but if you're wondering how bad this bullpen has been for the astros this year let's go through the eras and we're going to cry a little bit as we do, but I'm going to just go, go through them one by one. Biagini 20.77 Devo 14.73 Peacock 13.50 Castellanos 8.31 Rodriguez 7.71 Rayleigh 4.66 size Sneed, 4.50 Presley 3.95 which you go oh well that sounds good compared to the rest of the guys but not not what you're expecting from Kyle, from uh Ryan Presley and then you know the three guys that have been I think pretty decent uh Paredes with a 3.60 uh, Taylor with a 2.12 and Scrub with a 0.57 but overall I mean it's just you, you got all of these young guys and scrap heap guys and you know, the, the veterans are, are your worst ones, Biagini, Devo, and Peacock. I mean, not not a lot to show because
1: of injuries for those guys, but it's bad. Well, I was going to say, some of those guys you mentioned have just come back or just haven't pitched very much. Biagini, to me, just hasn't been impressive. You know, in the two seasons, well, almost two seasons, he's been with the Astros since he was traded for. I, I, I just I haven't been impressed with him overall. And, of course, he's had some injury problems, too. But I, you know, I just, and, and some of these young guys, I I think you're starting to see maybe the league is figuring some of these guys out, uh, you know, and that they're losing some of their steam, but whatever the reason uh, it's the, the numbers have been abysmal certainly for the last few games. And as you pointed out, you know, five games in the next four days, you know, the starters typically this whole season just haven't gone very deep into games. And I don't care how many pitchers you're keeping in your bullpen it's just going to tax it out at one point.
0: Well, frankly, I think the starters have gone further in games than I thought because when you're pitching, you know, BLAC and Javier and Framber Valdez and all these young guys, to me, I've been impressed that they've been able to go as deep as they have and as pitched as well as they had until recently when BLAC has struggled. And there's been a couple of games from some of the other guys, but it hasn't been too bad. It's a failure, Stephen, though, if Biagini and Devo are back in the bullpen next year. And and frankly, you know, somebody like Brian Abreu, I, I would rather see him pitch because at least I see some potential with Brian Abreu. Devo has just proven he's just been bad for three or four years. He doesn't have it. Biagini, he's not a good pitcher. I mean, it's, I don't know what else you need to see from him, but... Um, I, I would rather see somebody like Abreu or somebody with at least a little bit more potential in these bigger situations because I, I feel like you're wasting your time. You're not going to go anywhere in the playoffs with this bullpen, are you?
1: Well, I certainly don't see it not not the way it looks right now. You know, unless they get a spark or something going, but yeah, you talk about those guys. I mean, you know, Devo really after that All Star year just hasn't been the same. Uh, and be a genie, as I said, I, I just I don't I haven't been impressed with him at all. I'd be really shocked if he was there next year at all. But, you know, it, it's just amazing. I mean, we we talked so much about pitchers like Fromber Valdez. We just kept wondering, when is he ever going to figure it out? And it looks like, at least for now, uh, you know, still a little bit of ways to go with him. But he certainly seems to have figured it out. You just have to hope that some of these young guys like Abreu, who struggled earlier in this year before he was optioned, you know, maybe he can figure it out because he has great stuff. Certainly his stuff is is, is good enough. He just needs to figure out the command. And Jose Urquidy, great to have him back. I mean, he he ran out of gas, but you would expect that. But when he was in there, he pitched pretty well. So you hope that he can build up his stamina, pitch deeper into games, you know, help the bullpen out that way. So, yeah, some things are going to definitely have to fall into place if the Astros are going to go deep in the playoffs with the bullpen they have right now. And at this moment, I just don't see it.
0: Yeah, Fromber with what looked like a terrible game on Sunday, but frankly he shouldn't have been pitching into the 8th inning he gives up a bunch of runs because number 1 he shouldn't have been in there in the 8th inning and then you know they bring in a, a bullpen that is just stunk and 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 did their usual over the weekend um and also you know there was a couple of runs early in the game and there because of a ball went off of Josh Reddick's glove that maybe he should have caught in the defense this whole season has been you know very hit and miss and a lot of miss frankly outside of Correa and, and Maldonado, you know, throwing guys out from behind home plate, but uh, and and of course Yuli's U- been great over at first base, but it, it's been a it's been a hit and miss defense and 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 not helping some guys out, but yeah, Fromber, don't don't pay no attention to the numbers that he put up on uh, Sunday because I, I just don't think that's fair to him. Um, I, I I do want to hit one more big thing that has happened over the past week, Stephen. Uh, Major League Baseball lost. Two first ballot Hall of Famers this week. Pitcher Tom Seaver died at age 75, Lou Brock at 81. Brock is still second all-time in steals in Major League Baseball history. And only Tom Seaver and Walter Johnson have 300 wins, 3,000 strikeouts, and an ERA under three in their careers. So Tom Seaver, Lou Brock put up just historic numbers, two of the absolute greats of all time. And you're a hair older than I am. So I'm guessing maybe you remember a lot more than I do
1: about these two guys. Well, you know, when I started, first started following the Astros, of course they played the Cardinals a lot. So got to see Lou Brock play. And of course he was chasing at the time. I I think when I first started following, or maybe it was shortly after, you know, he was chasing Maury Wills in the stolen base category and and caught him and, you know, what a player he was. And, of course, Tom Seaver, gosh, I mean, how much more can you say about him? I certainly saw enough of Tom Seaver, didn't, didn't like to see a lot of Tom Seaver, you know, when he was with the Mets. I always thought it was interesting when I heard about the fact or how Tom Seaver came to the Mets. You know, he was signed illegally by the Braves while he was pitching at USC. They signed him during the season. And, you know, once that was found out, the, the contract was nixed and the major league baseball basically allowed teams that wanted to match the offer that the Braves had to to do so. And they put the names in a hat and the Mets the Mets were drawn. I mean, wouldn't you like the Astros to have something like that happen, Robert, where they, they might get another Jose Altuve or Alex Bregman or Carlos Correa or, you know, Justin Verlander or, you know, some type type pitcher. But that's how the Mets wound up with Tom Seaver. Just something is just probably will, you you won't hear of that again, but interesting how that career took off. But yeah, those two guys I certainly saw enough of them play when I first started following the Astros back in the seventies. Yeah,
0: Tom Seaver ending up with the Mets is also how Nolan Ryan ended up with the World Series championship ring on his finger. There you go, exactly. A couple of uh, cool coincidences connecting Brock and Seaver. How about this? Lou Brock was. The hitter Tom Seaver faced the most in his career, and Seaver was the pitcher Lou Brock faced the most in his career. So they have a a kind of a symbiotic connection there. One quick story also. In his autobiography, Lou Brock recalled how he asked a young man he thought was a clubhouse aide for a Coke before the 1967 All-Star game. Uh, He said, quote, "Uh, he hesitated for a minute, but then – went and got the Coke and said, you're Lou Brock, aren't you? Pleased to meet you.
1: I'm Tom Seaver. (laughs) Oh, that's quite a story. Uh, Yeah, I'm sure Lou turned a few shades of red on that one. But yeah, just these vintage ballplayers, these old school ballplayers, this is what made baseball so much fun for me, Robert, growing up, watching these guys play, even if they weren't with the Astros, you know, you, you rooted against them, obviously, if you were an Astros fan, but you, you you certainly could not dispute how great they were and the fact that you got to even watch them play. You know, I think of Henry Aaron, another you know, player that I, I followed the Braves because my mom lived in Atlanta for a few years when I was growing up. I didn't live there with her, but I came to visit her, you know, watch the Braves games. So it just, you know, the these type of ball players that were losing See, we're, we're definitely losing a part of baseball history right along with them. I mean, the, the, we'll remember the history, but just these guys will never be replaced, never. Yeah. One last
0: thing, I almost forgot about this, but I'm a big tennis fan, in the U.S. Open, of course, uh, these couple of weeks, and I'm watching on Sunday, and I see Novak Djokovic, and he there's the play. I'm sure a lot of people saw this, where he hits the tennis ball, and it hits one of the uh, the line judges. And he gets thrown from the tournament. And, Stephen, this is a big deal because now for the first time, I want to say since 2014, we're going to have a champion that's not one of the big four, you know, not Andy Murray or Federer or Nadal or Djokovic. And then it's been since 2004, 16 years, since one of those four guys wasn't even in a semifinal at a major tournament. How about that?
1: Yeah, that's pretty big. And, you know, I was actually um, at a friend's house, and I, I did not see what happened. A, a friend of mine texted me, though. I think I was on my way home so I could uh, catch the Rockets game and do the podcast with you. Uh, a friend of mine texted me about what happened, you know, and the the fact that, I and, you know, this was the number one player in the world, if I'm not mistaken, getting tossed from the tournament. And as I understand it, he he wasn't trying to hit the – he wasn't looking, he just, you know – Hit the ball out of anger, wasn't looking, and it hit the official, I guess, in the throat or in the neck.
0: Yeah, it was a line judge that he hit in the neck, and 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 it, the person yeah. like doubled over, and it looked like they were having trouble breathing. And the the thing about the whole situation, of course, I mean, he's not the worst guy in the world because he, he's not trying to do that. But this is what I, I this is my big thing, and why I wanted to bring this up is, you know, I just get tired of tennis players throwing rackets and hitting balls out of anger it's it's a bad example I I I frankly didn't like it as a kid it was one of the things that frustrated me about McEnroe's because he was such a beautiful player to watch and frustrated me about Connors that you know a lot of people thought it was entertaining or whatever I I I don't like it just like I don't (laughs) like NBA players it's the same issue that I have with the NBA where every time there's a foul you know the guy You know, starts yelling at the official and throwing his arm up in the air, and no NBA players ever committed a foul in their life, and the Rockets are one of the worst at this, and Eric Gordon is absolutely one of the worst at this. But I mean, it's not just the Rockets, it's not just Eric Gordon, it's you know, it's not just Russell Westbrook. I just get tired of all that. It's it's the constant whining and crybaby stuff in sports. It's why I don't like you know, the beanball wars and baseball because it's just – it's like, guys, you know, act like a professional. You know, the reason I want to watch you is you're the best in the world, and being the best in the world means acting like a pro. And I just get – I've, I've grown tired of it, and it's not like this is a new thing for me. I, I've been tired of this since I was a – I didn't think – I I always thought it. I've always thought it looked bad. I've always thought this. It's not like
1: oh here's grumpy old guy Stephen. I've always thought this is bad. <laughs> it's not because you're getting old, Robert. Is that what you're saying? It's it, no. No, it, it's bad sportsmanship, pure and simple. And and look, I know these players don't care if they're role models whether they like it or not, and that kids are watching. But kids are watching, and they're seeing what they're doing. And you know, thankfully, some of them don't follow that pattern. But it, it's just it. I mean, I know emo- emotions are raw when you're out on the court and you're on the field, but you still have to maintain some semblance of class, whether it's winning or losing. And while Djokovic didn't mean to do it, you know, the fact is he did it in anger and he got somebody injured, hopefully not seriously, but uh, certainly enough, you, you can't blame them for tossing him. I, I just, yeah, I'm like you. I, I don't like seeing this kind of thing. That's not what I watch sports for. I watch it for the play on the field, the clean play. But it's just, yeah, it's just a total lack of sportsmanship. And I'm sorry, you can call me old school if you want, but I believe that sportsmanship still has a place in sports, no matter what the level is.
0: And not only did Novak do that, and like I said, it was an accident, but not only did he do that, but, you know, he didn't face the media afterwards. He immediately got in his car and went home and didn't face the music, didn't make a public apology at least immediately. Maybe he will have by the time uh, this comes out. But it's just that's the type of stuff that I, just drives me crazy. And you know, I I don't see a Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal leaving, you know, without at least apologizing publicly or facing the media. That that's how those guys operate, and that's why, you know, I think that the, they give the sport a lot of class. And you just got to love. Uh, those two players. But um, yeah, that, that's what happened in tennis uh, so far in the in the uh, tournament. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, still, I'll probably have more of an interest now on the women's side with Serena still out there and, and some Americans, but um, yeah, the men, the men's side, it's a little watered down at this point. But
1: I was just going to say, getting on, keeping on the tennis, I'll be honest with you. If I watch tennis at all, it's the women's side. and And something like this definitely doesn't make me any more of a tennis fan than I already wasn't.
0: So the Rockets uh, game three is going to be Tuesday night. We'll have the post game for that one. And then be ready because the Texans are coming on right behind in a couple of days. And a uh, big day on Thursday in Houston sports for sure. Before we close things out, just a reminder that we love your feedback, questions, uh, suggestions, topics, whatever. Uh, you can message us through Twitter, Facebook, email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Uh, favorite us share our stuff uh, like us on Facebook as well Uh, we'd appreciate it stay healthy and safe everybody you're listening to Houston Sports Talk don't forget to follow Houston Sports Talk on Facebook and Twitter subscribe to us on iTunes Spotify the Google Podcast app or the Stitcher app you can support us by giving us a five-star review on iTunes or by telling your friends about us spread the word everybody